So this is the background. Let me read a few lines from Savitri with this background. And then we can, I mean, there's no, for me, there's no time limit, but I don't know. Uh, we can just go on. with. I had chosen three passages. One was what happens after death. I'll not read that. But I'll read instead two passages. One is very powerful about death and the second about uh, the journey of a life. Savitri is full of such passages and um, it's very hard to choose. But I'm just making a choice from a certain angle of vision. Okay. So one is uh, on page 600. Six hundred to six hundred one, and um, context is not really necessary. There are many passages in Savitri where the context is not necessary, but basically Savitri, Satyavan has died, and Savitri, in search of Satyavan, or rather following him, enters into the darkest and densest night. So, she has to fight with death but first you must know who is this fellow Uma, you know you must know your opponent so um, there's some beautiful lines here page 600 a truth occult has made this mighty world the eternal's wisdom and self-knowledge act in ignorant mind and in the body's steps The inconscient is the superconscient sleep. An unintelligible intelligence invents creation's paradox profound. Spiritual thought is crammed in matter's forms. It's a very powerful line. So where are the Vedas written? In Savitri, Satyavan is described as the um, a Veda knower of the unwritten book. So Veda is everywhere. Veda literally means knowledge. Vedanta is the end of knowledge. Vedant or the ultimate knowledge. It's not in a book. It's there everywhere. Walk out in the garden. You'll see delight in what is that? Jakaranda flower. <laughs> you see it everywhere. It's, you feel it in the mud. You feel it with the first train and the smell. It's there. It's, it's, it's a, the symbolic forms each form is symbolic. Human beings. Human beings are meant to stand upright and soar towards the sun. That's why you see that form itself changes. Because it's symbolic. So it's written everywhere. The secret truth. All here is a mystery of contraries. Darkness a magic of self-hidden light. So you see, uh, one of the work of these lines is, uh, you know, when I was a child, when we read a scripture, often it was told that reading itself can liberate us. You know, Bhagavat, many of us may be aware of Bhagavat Puran, the story of Sri Krishna. And it, the Bhagavat starts like that, there, that there is a um, fellow who is, uh, you know, punished and he is in a bamboo tree, he is a, a Bhuta, a ghost. So he has to be liberated. So meanwhile the Bhagavad story is going on and he hears the story and he gets liberated. Now basically it may sound very strange that you know how can reading a book liberate you? 
but actually uh, if we really look into it it liberates us because we are bound by our own conceptions we don't realize now imagine what the line this is darkness is a magic of self hidden light which means if i have to put it as a bhakta that even in the enemy there is krishna smiling at me a very beautiful line shubhendra's poem called the one self where he says my rival's downfall is my own disgrace i look at my enemy and see krishna's face isn't it liberating that there is no original darkness there is no eternal hell wherever we go in whatever situation circumstances we may be there is hidden there the light so what i have to do now not fight with the darkness but invoke the light that is the other meaning of this asadoma sadgamya tamsoma jyotirgamya one is that from darkness to light other is the light hidden in the cover of darkness so wherever we may be in the most helpless situation still help is available only it is covered even when we can see nothing we are drifting when life is miserable when we feel everything is hopeless and we feel like giving up that is the time mother says so beautifully we must make a leap of faith and know that the grace will never fail us why it would never fail it's there so look at this one line it can liberate us from so many things otherwise we are running here and there all the time and we get temporary help but imagine a situation where somebody is caught or trapped even you know there is a life threatening situation and your first remembrance is that i came myself in the arms of the divine now imagine you know this thought can be so liberating you are immediately calmed your fear vanishes you know now whatever is going to happen whether i am going to live or die i am safe in the arms of the divine it's so wonderful so look at this one line which can be so liberating darkness is a magic of self hidden light the real player is still the light so savitri knows this that's why she can face death and fight suffering some secret raptures tragic mask so when you know a cherished toy is snatched away from us well people in young age you know sometimes when they go through heartbreaks or even older age when somebody whom they loved or cared has walked away or you know rejected or there is a separation for whatever reason just to think about it this suffering that i am going through is a tragic mask but there is a greater rapture which awaits me something still more beautiful this trust and how it can begin to change life and death an instrument of perpetual life so existence never ceases to be it exists as consciousness it exists but what ceases to be is form so forms break why they break because life must continue its journey and in one form it becomes difficult to sustain it it opens a new door of understanding death is not some cruel act it becomes a necessity because this form cannot if you have to make you know this everyone knows those computers in those days in nasa they have this you know the the first moon mission such huge computers now you have all that information in a chip you can't use that so you break the form and you get better and better forms the hardware should be commensurate with the software you know so based on 
the evolutionary necessity the farms break and there are new farms which means that becomes a evolutionary necessity because and it's it's seen that you know most people grow till 30 very unfortunate thing after 30 sometimes even before i know it i don't need to learn so what happens when i know it then it can only become a knowledge will start <laughs> crystallizing fossilizing or degenerating ah <laughs> uh, it will start going down it either will become like a rigid system i know it like some of our elders oh i know don't tell me we know it's there in our scriptures which scripture if you ask it's very un- unhappy <laughs> situation you are questioning me so what happens you stop growing so 30 to 60 you are we begin to become fossilized what happens after 60 as somebody put it humorously when the narrow waist and the broad mind change places <laughs> so mind begins to become more and more narrow <laughs> this becomes larger and larger because all the vitality gets accumulated there food that's the only thing and this because fixed thoughts we don't want to make an effort so what happens the only way that nature out of its compassion this fellow is now become good for nothing so let's liberate from the farm and bring him in a new farm you know there's a complete organ transplant done entirely free of cost and the anesthesia is so good that when you wake up you don't remember a thing about anything <laughs> you you come back and you start life afresh otherwise it'll be so dangerous people often ask you know that why we don't remember or it's a grace the one can remember the past life as the consciousness extends we can remember it's it just extending the consciousness that's all there is no other secret to it to so learn to extend consciousness become aware of domains in which we are not conscious we know our past lives it's not something like a rocket science it's it's very simple but ordinarily it is concealed imagine how difficult life would be managing one life relatives is bad enough imagine if you discover the man next door oh he was my his uncle oh that fellow he had cheated me now at least you are nice with him so this becomes an evolutionary necessity everything else is forgotten except one thing the evolutionary necessity whatever is necessary for our progress to the next level it's like when children graduate from school now we all have gone through that process no do i do i remember all the formulas of physics and chemistry i don't nobody does but it was necessary to shape my mind to develop the mental muscles when its purpose is over done with it so <clears throat> what we really remember what is carried over is not papa and punya not the details of whether i was a monkey and eating this or that but that those moments which were crucial and critical to my growth and that moment may have nothing to do with even visiting a temple that may be a aha moment when you saved somebody's life and went out of the blue that moment is imprinted because that's a special moment when the soul is in front that one act was like a big feeder to the spiritual self whereas one may be going to a temple every day but every day going and saying i am such a miserable fellow why don't you give me more money more this is all washed away it has no meaning from evolutionary perspective so what carries at the end is the evolutionary energy that's what is called in the vedas as fire fire has three homes the highest home where it is its very own home of truth the supramental 
then there is the middle Vashwanar, which is in the cosmos, and then Grihaspati, the master of matter. And the entire, if you see the Durga, Saptasati, all the forms of Shailabala onwards, you know, they are all forms of the awakening of the fire. The first form is in matter, Shailabala. She is born out of the mountains, daughter of the mountains. She is the energy concealed in matter, rock like matter. Aware of this story which I am recounting? Well, it's a whole story which is about the awakening of energy, divine energy, concealed in matter, going ultimately step by step. So there are nine forms of Durga through which you, you have, you know, she climbs. If you read about the Kundalini and the energy becoming more and more purified, more and more potent till ultimately she is the Siddhidhatri. She can give you the perfection intended and she unites with Shiva, the highest Lord. So it's a whole journey of divine energy concealed within. So all that is carried over is those moments when this energy sprang forth. Generally in moments of crisis, strangely. That's when God works full time. He is engaged in that. And those moments are carried over. So we have all these, uh, as I said, suggestions which come sometimes from one line. So it's an instrument. Death is an instrument of perpetual life. So because of the challenge of death, we evolve, we grow, we progress, we take the challenge. A dim bystander at the body's start and the last judgment on man's futile works. Other is the riddle of its ambiguous face. It looks frightening, but actually it's also a mask. And its riddle is something else. And Shubhinder is going to reveal to us this riddle. Death is a stair. A door is stumbling stride the soul must take to cross from birth to birth. A great defeat pregnant with victory. So each, so often people say, oh, I got defeated. I failed. Now This is a very pathetic way of looking at things. Rather we should say, I tried and I learned. That's what is happening. Failure and success is the values of, that we in ignorance give. Life was never meant to be a game for failure or success. That's never the meaning of the game. The meaning of the game, game is constant growth and learning. So when two teams play cricket or football, okay, one wins, gets money, accolades and the other loses. Now it's going on. But what is common to both the teams? They both grow in their muscle power, in their strategies, in their thinking, planning. That's the game. It's about growth and evolution. So often people say, oh, why did God give me failure, my past karma? Maybe God chose me for something much greater. That's how we see Pandavas all the time suffering. But they are chosen by Krishna for a grand scheme of things. Whereas Kaurvas all the time succeeding. If you look at it. <laughs> so, but they just didn't grow. The man till even on his you know, deathbed is contemplating how I can kill them. He's full of all this you know, jealousy and hatred. Lost opportunity. So the game is never about that. It's about uh, the soul must take. And so he puts it a great defeat. Yes, looks like temporarily. But it is pregnant with victory. Because each time we return. That's how Shobindu explains fate. Oh king, thy fate is a transaction done at every moment between thy nature and soul. Man can accept or he can refuse his fate. 
even though the one may maintain the decree, even if you are refusing, still it may happen. Still thy refusal is written in thy credit page. For doom is not a close, a mystic seal. Arisen from the tragic crash of life. <coughs> when we, you know, fall and die. The spirit rises mightier with each defeat. Its godlike wings grow wide with every fall. And you can see it in life when we look at large spaces of time. Today, you know, we can fly so easily. Where did the first flight start? Not Oliver Wright. That's, that's a very, not a good way to put it. When the first man dreamt of flying. You know, it's a very pathetic story of Daedalus and Icarus in Greek mythology. Thought about flying and he had waxen wings and the father flies but the son crashes and is killed. It's a, anyway, it's a mythological story. But actually first man probably thought that you know maybe I can have wings and fly like birds. And went to the precipice and went down. Was it a defeat or was it a victory? Victory. In large spaces of time it's a victory. Why? Because it, it, men came. You know, there is another line in Savitri. Man dies so that men may live and God be born. The idea lived. It moved humanity. Something went wrong. Let's try to correct it. And then they studied. Then Da Vinci dreamed of flying. He made actual diagrams. And eventually, you know, we, we have... Today, of course, it's become a way of life. So, each defeat is pregnant with victory. Just imagine, you know, this line is so illuminating. There is no ultimate eventual failure. There is nothing like a permanent defeat. It is only a learning curve when we learn and go to come back and we hit upon life and we eventually succeed. A whip to lash us towards our deathless state. Because deep inside there is something within us which is immortal. That's why man seeks immortality. Believes, forgets to die actually. It's very difficult to think that you are going to die next moment. You can't sleep if you think like that. <laughs> oh, what if I die in sleep? <laughs> but we forget to die. We instead strive to conquer death. One day it will be so, even physically. But first the consciousness must change. The inconscient world is the spirit's self-made room. Eternal night, shadow of eternal day. Night is not our beginning nor our end. She is the dark mother in whose womb we have hid. Safe from too swift awaking to world pain. We come to her from a supernal light. By light we live and to the light we go. And I think sometimes these lines are uh, not just revelatory, they are prophetic. I believe and I have reasons to believe that a day will come when man will actually be able to eat light just as we eat food. And light will become a major mode of therapy, probably including cleansing the arteries and you know blood vessels it will come we are preparing for that matter will become sensitive to light therapy it, it will happen so uh, because that's our origin we live by that that's our secret sustaining force 
But right now we have to take that light indirectly. Actually, ultimately, as I said, even a grain of matter which we eat to live, there is in it the energy of the sun, the energy of the earth all mixed. Now, if we can one day learn to draw this energy and the highest power directly, that will be God's answer to the food problem of the world, changing us from within. Mother and Shubhindu were classic examples of that. Even Champaklalji, who served Mother and Shubhindu, how little he used to eat. And you know why? Can you imagine what could be the thought? Not so that he remains slim or anything like that. Can you imagine what could be the state of consciousness of someone who was serving Shubhindu and the mother? Because he didn't want, he knew that if he eats much, he may have to go to the bathroom. And he didn't want to, you know, be away from their service for a long period. What kind of a feeling that would be. So eat less. And he was not just energetic, but leonine. Of course, Mother and Shubindo, very little. Shubindo, for uh, his breakfast, initially 9 o'clock, then shifted to... This Niruddha recounts, this, this is documented, it's not just a story. Then it was pushed to 11, then 1 o'clock, then 3 o'clock. It says Shubhinda would just sit in Samam Brahmam. Never once, oh, when is the breakfast coming? Oh, it's too late. What happened? You guys are not looking after. Don't you know that I am the master? Is this how you take care of your master? Nothing. He would sit and wait like a child. I can't, I mean, I can't imagine that, you know, progressively your breakfast is being pushed. And now why was it being pushed? Not because people didn't want to, you know, feed him in time, but he would take it from mother's hand. She is the divine mother's embodiment. And mother is so busy throughout the day with the many things that they would start at four in the morning. When when did it end? Any guess? When she served breakfast. No. <laughs> four o'clock morning it would start. Her day would end at two o'clock at night. Two o'clock. Oh. Many times. And between 2 and 3, she was attending to many of the calls and many of the things that were happening. 3, she would wake up. <laughs> wake up means from a trance. <laughs> Even in bathroom, she would be answering many of the notes. That was the place. I believe, I suspect that was the origin of, you know, WhatsApp is a distorted version. The divine answering, you know, <laughs> notes in the bathroom. <laughs> so, <laughs> sometimes when I... Uh, you know, answer some of the WhatsApp. I just think of how mother was answering in. Of course, that is uh, profound answers straight from the divine. And you know, sitting in the bathroom, she would answer. By four, she is ready because four o'clock department people have to come. And they would meet her and go. Six o'clock in the morning, there would be the balcony darshan. The day never ended because the sun never sets. <laughs> it's just that. We sleep off and we turn, the earth turns itself away. So, where was the energy coming from? And she speaks of that. Actually, much earlier in, uh, even when she was practicing occultism, she speaks of that, that from anything you can draw energy. She speaks of a teacher uh, who, who would uh, keep a lemon on the stomach and suddenly the lemon will shrink. And she didn't need to eat anything. So these are possibilities of the future and why they should come because the moment we eat food as it is, material food, 
this food along with energy which we do get we also absorb a lot of things from the inconscient that's why if you eat a little more it's like tamas and that's why certain foods energize us certain foods make us feel like lolling certain foods make us feel very sleepy because with food we absorb it and the waste is also there yes waste is there absolutely true waste which should not be there so a day so you see when shubindu writes a line it's not something just figurative or symbolic or just for picturesque sake you know it sounds very good from the light we come by light we live to the light we go sounds very good isn't it very powerful but there is a literalness also many places by light we live it nurtures us and that's why when people are cut off from light they go crazy weird it's actually experiments done like that sensory deprivation Five days, you can't sustain beyond it. Food is provided everything, but you totally lose every kind of balance. It's not because there is something about light which nurtures us, even so indirectly. Imagine when one is open to you know a higher light, a greater light, and what will. So they are the future representatives. So one day will come, and um, probably a lot of things which are going on. at present our very system is built by death in many ways it's interwoven itself into the system from the first food that we have it gets interwoven it finds its doors and paths and it builds its own fort but a day would come when man would evolve beyond man it would not need that's the vision of shirbindu about the future so one more small passage and then we can you know it's again about death but in a different way Yes. Yeah. Yes, of course. I have an impression that you know uh, the human creation, because this question was asked indirectly, uh, in the sense that now we have so many variety of human activities. I, I suggest the same thing would apply probably to fruit. It's already happening, and we'll come to that. So Shubhendu was asked that you know won't it be a very boring life after all you know we have variety in human life. So Shubhendu answered, "Do you think that you know supramental is like a monotone? The rich human life will be surpassed by a much much richer divine life where there will be far more variety. See the transition from animal to man. We see number of things have come up from poetry and art into you know now." i'm sure for food also something like this will happen now there is something which is happening which i'm sure some of us may have heard it's taking place in pondicherry and um, you know it started with organic farming and now the <coughs> thing which is uh, going on is aquaponics heard about it what is that aquaponics <coughs> aquaponics is where you don't even organic is yeah. just you know you're not using Your chemical fertilizers, right? Hydroponics. But, huh? Hydroponics. hydroponics is another word. Both words we use: hydroponics or aquaponics. You just put the roots in a actually rooftop gardens. Now you know this is going coming in a big way in India. Uh, in Bangalore, people are starting in Pond. It's Habis Pondicherry, incidentally. Uh, um, there is a it's a project of Shubhendu Society or um, Krishi. It's, it's being sold in Bombay. Yes. Uh, this yes, plants. yes, yes. Nowadays, it's and you have such big, such big yields, you know, uh, Gerard, big, big, uh, big, big, big tomatoes and such different tastes. 
So you don't put in the soil at all. You just put nutrients, chemicals. And mother spoke about the food of the future. Where she says no waste but only just that is important to nourish us. So we don't need to get delight from the food but delight just enough to sustain the matter. Because right now we still have considerable amount of old matter which will be replaced. This is the evolutionary process. And this energy which has gone into food. Now this aquaponics is a much faster way, uh, more economic. You don't need huge farms. You can do it on your rooftop. As I said, you just need a test tube or tube-like thing in which you have water. And you suspend the roots and put the nutrient. That's all. I'll give a wonderful yield. So, so a lot of issues get sorted out. So going this way, a time would come when energy invested in just creating a variety of food. Uh, probably we'll also discover a way that even plants and these fruits can go, grow in ways which don't require a conventional agriculture. And that is a, you know, as I said, purely from water because water is one step above earth. If you see the panch tattvas, so water comes just before earth, right from there. And then before water you have this um, Agni Tattva, then you have Vayu, and then you have the Akash. And I'm sure as man evolves, he'll find ways in me. So this, this might take that, uh, it's just a matter of time. But as of now, well, we are in a long transition, <coughs> maybe a hundred, few hundred years. Israel but, is very much doing it. Hmm? Israel is a country. Yeah. yeah. They are doing well. Yes. And here it has started now. In, in, it's picking up in India. Partly because of space problem, but look at it like how problem can become a way of a unique solution. Because of the space problems, so this is picked up in a big way. And actually your needs you can grow in your house. Because it's so simple. You don't need land. Just imagine. Agriculture without land, it's unimaginable. So your need for vegetables and fruits can be grown within now, of course, if you want to grow grain, still it's the conventional process. But to sustain ourselves, we don't really need that. So I think these, these are things, foods of the future. Space people, mother spoke of that also. When they go to space, they subsist on that. They don't need to have waste. So they have to have food which is modified like that. But that energy which is released will be done uh, used for many other things. So I'll read just one small passage and then we can take further questions. So this on page 23 and Shobindu describes a psychic being that which does not die, the, the soul in man but takes new form. So what's happening? What is this journey about? Page 23. <clears throat> the form deceives, the person is a mask. Hid deep in man's celestial powers can dwell. His fragile ship conveys through the sea of years. An incognito of the imperishable. This is, you know, Savitri has a touch of humor also. The most important person is traveling incognito. It's like the Kain Upanishad Yaksha. <laughs> yaksha, you know, comes and gods are having a party. And the Yaksha comes because... Divine says ki these fellows think it is their victory. So he, he becomes a yaksha. Yaksha are beings of the mid-world. They are neither good nor bad. They are neither here nor there. So he comes as a yaksha and knocks at the door. And Indra sends Agni to find out. Who is he? So he says, who are you? So where is your identity card? Yaksha says, I go uninvited. 
So he says, you don't know who I am. So he says, tell me who you are. He says, I am Agni and I can destroy everything. So Yaksha picks up a blade of grass and says, please destroy this. So Agni rushes with all his might and cannot destroy. So he goes back and says, I don't know who is this guy. I am not involved in his making. How can that be? Because he is Jatvedas, you know, he knows all the births. <laughs> even the bodies of the gods, there is the Agni Tattva. He said, I don't know this body, who has created and how he come. Then Vayu goes and Indra goes. So that's the story about this Yaksha. So he is incognito. The one which fire cannot destroy. Which Vayu cannot, you know, that's that's why this famous thing in the Gita is not just a, not something, just like a very nice image. Nainam chiddanti shastrami, nainam dahati pavaka. But it's a, it also indicates that it's not made out of the Typical Panch Tattvas. That's why Panch Tattvas can't take. Often people use the word, Wo Panch Tattva mein vilin ho gaye. Wo vilin nahi ho sakte. Means he disappeared into Panch Tattvas. The body can go into Panch Tattvas. The vital can go into its own world. The mind can go into the mind world. But there is something in us which is not made out of Panch Tattvas. That is the incognito of the imperishable. You don't know what name to give it. You can call it factor X as some uh, scientists like to call it. You can call it the unknown, unknown. You can call it the person. doesn't matter. The soul, the self, it doesn't. Atma is a very significant word because it means the self. That which I am. So it's incognito. We don't know it. And yet this fragile ship of the body is actually carrying this fellow who doesn't have an identity card and in all likelihood without a visa and ticket. And yet it is going, traveler. A spirit that is a flame of God abides, a fiery portion of the wonderful, artist of his own beauty and delight, <coughs> immortal in our mortal poverty. These two lines, artist of its own beauty and delight, even if everything is lost, if the soul, if we are conscious of the soul, it can build everything. That's the ancient saying. But if we are not conscious of this, then, you know, even when everything is there, still we are full of anxiety and fear. But if the soul is alive, that's why the warriors, when they used to go to battle, there were three things taught to them. One was, he has to be Veer. So, Veerta, he must be a courageous fellow. And then he must, of course, know the technique. He must be a, you know, person who knows the technique well. But none of this qualified him for being the highest warrior. The highest warrior had something in him which is called as Shaurya. Shaurya comes from the soul. This, this state in which you know you are deathless. It's a state which warriors can enter into. You know, During famous Longowala battle, this one man stopping an entire army. is amazing or Arun Khetrapal who went into tanks to destroy something at that moment seizes you or Shubhinda describes in Baji Prabhu you know that you are indestructible now this is Shaurya when you are awake in that reality and you are aware of that reality which is indestructible so he says artist of its own beauty and delight the, the alive awake soul can save everything else that's why it is so important so People feel that, you know, it's the last thing, but it's the most important element because if we are aware of that, then there is nothing like um, hopelessness ever in life. 
because you live by the strength of your soul even if nobody is there that's why in india we don't have the conception of anath orphans whom we help you know this is a typical it's not an indian conception all the anaths in india did well whether it was karna who also did well she was <laughs> duped into believing something else all the pandavas were in a way anath born in jungle father died nobody knows and the greatest name of india is uh, after bharat and uh, bharat's mother was you know shakuntala you know shakuntala where she was why her name is shakuntala because her father vishwamitra and mother menaka so they just decided after this child that we have had enough he wants to do his tapasya and menaka wants to go back to heaven so the contract is broken the original divorce <laughs> what about the child are child is not dependent on us the rishi knew that you know everybody is looked after and the celestial damsel had nothing to do with earthly creatures so this baby was lying in uh, just like that she is an orphan baby so there is a she is a child of destiny you know so she is taken care of by a bird who is hovering around to guard the child and at the same time crying call attracts uh, attention of some human beings so that pakshi's name is shakun that's how it becomes shakuntala mm-hmm. she is brought up by kanvarishi and shakuntala becomes the shaper of the destiny of a nation because it's her son strangely an ill out of wedlock child bharat is born without actual marriage gandharviva no real marriage took place has become the harbinger of an entire you know race and lineage of great kings so you see it's such a liberating story it widens us into what horizons so it's capable there is no anath for the soul it knows the divine is there that's why when we live in the soul consciousness nothing can of you know terrify us because we know that me and my lord is always there and there is nothing to worry and so he uses the word immortal in our mortal poverty all that we may have if this is not there you know that quest we began with we are still poor because we are afraid of losing it but when this is there we don't mind take away everything leave this that is the story of krishna and the choice between arjuna and duryodhan so duryodhan krishna gives a strange choice i think these stories we may be aware but i am just recounting some of us maybe the younger generation mm-hmm. so you know before the war krishna gives a choice on one side i am there alone unarmed so what will i do maybe if you want i can counsel or i'll drive the chariot but i won't lift arms he is a great warrior the greatest warrior among those days <coughs> and on other side my chaturangini sena which means air force navy and thalands another chaturangini so fourfold army so what would you choose so duryodhana makes the choice of the army <coughs> and uh, he thinks he has fooled arjuna and krishna he he believes that and arjuna is feels ah what a sigh of relief you are with me if you would have chosen you i would have gone so what is the difference and shubindu captures this story in a very beautiful aphorism 
even if the whole world be against you armed and with all its shrapnels and krishna alone in thy side choose krishna that is the wisdom of the ages why because again this is where the strength lies all the rest is poverty so use the word immortal in our mortal poverty this sculpture of the forms of the infinite this creamed unrecognized inhabitant initiate of his own veiled mysteries hides in a small dumb seed his cosmic thought so all the possibilities are already within it embedded in it which will emerge through a period of time and few lines below determining predestined shape and act now shubindu changes the thing there is nobody else calling the shots the soul calls the shots it chooses failure and defeat if such be the necessity for it to grow so it changes the whole thing nobody else calls the shots i call the shots something within me so he says that changing passenger from life to life from scale to scale changing his imaged self from form to form he regards the icon growing by his gaze so the form is just an icon <coughs> and in the worm foresees the coming god so this is a journey from a worm like state to a god like state at last the traveler in the paths of time arrives on the frontiers of eternity in the transient symbol of humanity draped he feels his substance of undying self and loses his kinship to mortality and the next page all in him turns to spirit vastnesses his soul breaks out to join the over soul his life is ocean by that super life he has drunk from the breasts of the mother of the worlds a topless supernature fills his frame then is revealed in man the overt divine his static oneness and dynamic power descend in him the integral godhead seals his soul and body take that splendid stamp so this is the journey through which we have to go that's why there is no conception again of conversion in typical indian thought now of course there are sects which have begun to convert people in shobindo's yoga there is no conversion trying to convert somebody by you know when the soul is ready it will awake and if it's not ready then trying to adopt a belief system has no meaning because it's not something real it's not substantial it's just perpetuating yet another falsehood and when it is ready and awake it will respond so this is the background and uh, you know they said i could go on so <laughs> we can have can you ask uh, yes you mentioned that when they saw go to sakit like it's not the mind the mind everything is left behind but the soul carries an energy it's own energy isn't it so is it the right to associate it that the soul's energy since is the soul of this what is true what is good what is beautiful is a miniature super mind kind of a consciousness in a way you can say that because if we look at the birth of the soul the jeevatman so there you know how the soul really comes into existence it's a 
as per the Rig Veda, it's a portion of the Divine Mother. So she's obviously beyond the Panch Tattva. She's, uh, it's, that's why the soul knows the love, love of the Divine, because it's built of that stuff. And then if you go through, even the Vaishnava tradition speaks about it, that you, know, you have this state when the Divine within himself, by the stress of his consciousness, creates many centers. And these centers are created to express and manifest some or the other aspect of him. And since he is infinite, so it could mean infinite centers. Now this is the Jivatma. But this Jivatma sends down its ray to enter the time and space play. Because you know it has to now manifest. So for manifestation, it has to go through this whole process. And that becomes the psychic being. But origin is there. So yes, uh, absolutely true. Because this state where the one and the many coexist is the supramental state. So one can say that it does, that's why it's deathless, it's indestructible because uh, below the supermind, even over mind and below is subject to pralaya and mahapralaya. Uh, and to on that one more point, when Sri Aravindasandha says the eternal multiple divine. There are now? Eternal multiple divine. Ah, yes. Does it mean that, that the multiplicity is eternal and the jivatma is also eternal? Like yes, Jiva, yes, Sri Aurobindo talks about the eternity of the Jivatma. But that there is a uh, qualification there that it is infinite, but because it is within the divine, it has an option always of merging into that. Now that's not death or destruction. It's going back into its Swarupa if one likes and not go through the evolutionary process. At any point it can uh, decide and merge into the eternal and be done with the play. So in that sense, so that's why those who believe it's eternal are right. Those who believe that no, it is subject, they are also right in once, but in a very qualified sense. That's why you have, you know, this Visishtadvayat, which believes in both and those schools of philosophy. But it's not compelled. There is nothing like, you know, an original karma of the soul. That's another question he says, that if karma is the cause of bondage. What was the original karma? The soul didn't say that, you know, plunge me and <laughs> then... <laughs> yeah. So it, it chose, it was a choice because something could be expressed only through the process of creation. That's why God grows through creation. As I said, children, you know, parents, in certain sense, grow through the child. So in that sense, uh, creation grows and through it, grow, God grows uh, in terms of manifestation. It's a paradoxical term, but that's how one can best describe the riddle.